Happy um, New Year's Eve. If anybody needs the priest to get you out of 201 Poplar tonight, you can call Father Francisco. I'm sure he'll be happy to come, okay? I think all of us would agree, you know, there's certain things that kind of irritate most of us, you know? If you ask, what is it that really irritates you? I think most of us have that one thing. There's two things that irritate me, which I'm, you probably have been kind enough to hear me talk about before, but number one, the food at hospitals as a whole is generally horrible. I spent most of the day yesterday visiting hospitals, and I feel so sorry for some of these people. Some of you know what that's like. I'm like, come on, it doesn't take that much to have good food. Anyway, um, the second thing that kind of irritates me, maybe some of you have had this experience when you go for a job interview, or maybe some of you have been interviewing people when they come for a job. Sometimes they ask the most arcane and asinine questions of people interviewing for a job. They'll say, where do you see yourself in five years? Um, if you could describe yourself in two words, what would that be? If you were stranded on a desert island with two things, what would that be? As if that has anything at all to do with a job. One woman I know, she told me last year she was actually asked at a job interview, they asked her, how many golf balls will fit on the space shuttle? And she's like, I, I failed to see what this has to do with the job. She got the job and told him no. But call me crazy here, but maybe what we could do is ask somebody who's applying for a job a question about the job. For instance, if they're applying to be a plumber, tell me about how you would install a hot water heater. If they're applying as a line cook, how would you make an omelet? Whatever. Okay? Call me crazy. But I think if you ask most of these people, why do you ask these questions? They would say this. I want to see, we want to see how they handle pressure. How do they think on their feet? Okay? And that's why I'm bringing this up to you. <clears throat> so I, I just kind of open this up, if you don't mind. How is it that you handle pressure? in your marriage, in your family. Because there's a lot of pressure that comes in our families today, right? Primarily from two areas, externally and internally. So external pressure, what would that be? It'd be like bills, your mortgage payment, um, tuition, social media pressure, my heavens. And then internally, that, that would be more things that, pressure that we put on ourselves that is really unneeded. And that, in my experience, is far, far more intense. So I just want to unpack that a little bit. Because as we head later tonight into this new year, I would suggest to you something I myself am working on. I'm not an authority on this. But we're going to be happier when we can take some of that pressure off, man. I mean, we, we, we got enough, don't we? I mean, I always say many of us, our lives are like Marley's ghost from the Christmas Carol, you know, who's carrying around all those chains. I mean, some people, that, they've been carrying around a lot of these chains. 
When they finally let that go, they're, they're happier. Yeah? So how do we handle this pressure? And I mention this to you, again, because today we celebrate the feast day of the Holy Family, and a lot of times many well-meaning Catholics, they kind of get the sense, okay, well, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, they're, they're all saints, and they're up there in the clouds, and our family's down here struggling. But, you know, that's nice, that's, but that's so otherworldly, and we're down here in the coal mines grinding it out. So, in other words, it kind of feels like a big, big disconnect. But the truth is that they went through immense amount of pressure, a lot. I mean, Mary got pregnant out of wedlock. There's some pressure. That was a death sentence at the time. And as we hear in the gospel, they go back home to Nazareth. Can you imagine the gossip? Oh, did, 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 you didn't know? Did, you didn't know? Mary got, she's pregnant. She's not married. She's not married. Maybe all over social media, right? Poor Joseph, my gosh, what a guy. I mean, he's living with the Savior of the world and the exception. If there was a problem, it wasn't them, it was him. <laughs> right? Then he has no money. They go, to, they go to find a place to live to have, for her to give birth to the Savior of the world. Twelve years later, he loses the Savior of the world. He's wonderful. No problem. I had one job. I mean, so they, they had plenty of pressure, is my point, folks. But, by the way, fast forward when Jesus, in his ministries, Mary heard many, many death threats against her own son by people he had grown up with. These weren't strangers. They, they all grew up together. They're threatening his life. There's some pressure for you. So how do you handle this? You know, um... Quick story. So when I was living in Vermont um, many years ago, I got to know a woman named Susan. And uh, Susan is a professor at a college in Vermont. But for five years before she started teaching, she was on the editorial staff at Cosmopolitan Magazine. <laughs> and so that'll make you an atheist. So after she, uh, she left there, she told me, Ben, I had to resign in disgust because I have two younger daughters. And she said, when we were on the editorial staff at Cosmo, she said, not one of those pictures of the women in that magazine are real. It's all photoshopped and airbrushed. Nothing is real. And I realized as younger daughters, I don't want them to have this message. Do you know Dr. Brene Brown, who's done a lot of work in this field, you know what she said? I didn't know this. The average American receives every single day 5,000 media images and ads. 5,000 every day. If you're a teen, by the way, that's doubled. I mean, it, 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 some of you have, have heard me wax on about this because it's so close to my heart. But as, as Susan has said before, she said it presents a completely unrealistic notion of what we're supposed to look like. 
I mean, women are supposed to have an hourglass figure at all times, even until the moment that they pass. And men are supposed to have washboard abs and a full head of hair. Man, I am in big trouble. All right, Father Ben is not Ryan Gosling, okay? But th- we're, we're told this. They're, we're presented this completely false understanding of what we are supposed to look like up until late ages. And then we wonder why there's so much stress and pressure. So how do, how do we handle this? How do we handle this? Well, number one, we talk. Number two, we share. And number three, we deal with our own shame sometimes. What do I mean when I say shame? Just a quick lesson. There's a big difference, brothers and sisters, between guilt and shame. And it comes down to this. Guilt has to do with actions. Shame has to do with the person. And shame is never, ever, ever from God. It's never from God. It goes like this. Let me give you some examples. Guilt would say, I made a mistake. Shame would say, I am a mistake. Guilt would, would say, I did something bad. Shame would say, I am someone bad. We could sum up shame in this one sentence, okay? It would say this, Shame is the negative way that you and I see ourselves through other people's eyes. Let me just say that again. It's a negative way that you and I see ourselves through other people's eyes. But here's the thing, they're not actually thinking that usually because they got their own things they're working on. I just want to give you this one thing. If you don't remember anything of what I'm telling you this morning, just please remember this one thing, okay, when you get in your cars. People are often the most judgmental in other people for what they themselves are the most insecure about. People are often the most judgmental in other people (laughs) for what they themselves are the most insecure about. Maybe it's body image. You see, he, he put on some weight, man. Oh, no, they don't, they don't vacation where we vacation. They go to that school or this school. Right? Number one, we should stay in our lane. It has nothing to do with us. Number two, people are often so judgmental of other people with they themselves are most insecure about. So I can tell you when I hear this, I'm like, Maybe, maybe you should look in the mirror. <laughs> right? People don't want to hear this. It's what Jesus means when he says, you will find the truth and the truth will set you what? It's a good recipe for happiness there, I think. So I'll close with this. <clears throat> Up until 1941 in this country, It was not permitted for a black man to become an officer in the Navy. It wasn't until 1941 that an African-American man could become an officer. They were permitted to run the mess hall. But it wasn't until pressure from the then First Lady, Eleanor Roosevelt, that the Navy finally 
agreed to it, kicking and screaming. The Navy brass did not want to. And they finally said, fine, you know what? Let's invite a few African-American men to go through the program to kind of check that box. So they did. They went to 13 black men, and they invited them to go through the officer training in the Navy in 1941. And the program start to finish was about 16 weeks, okay? But in order, in order to ensure that they failed, they cut it in half. They said, you, you guys have only eight weeks. So the guys got together, these 13 men, and they said, all right, guys, here's the deal. They want us to fail, so we got to put aside our differences and we're going to have to work together. So they did. So for eight weeks, all day, every day, 14 hours a day, for eight weeks, seven days a week, these 13 African-American men would get together and they would drill each other with questions. If they ask you this question, what are you going to say? If you, they ask you this question, what are you going to say? If they ask you this question, what are you going to say? This went on every single day for eight weeks. So they took the test. At the end of eight weeks, every one of them got straight A's. So the military brass, they're like, no, 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 no. No, nobody's ever done that good. You know what, gentlemen, you need to take it again. They forced them to take the exam twice. And much to the chagrin, of the military brass, they did better the second time than the first. And that group of men we now know as the Golden Thirteen. So if you get a chance when you go home tonight, read about the Golden Thirteen. As the years went on, they asked these 13 African-American men, how did, you, how did you do this? I mean, what was your recipe? You know what they said? We were humble enough to share our weaknesses with one another and to grow together. Can you imagine if we did the same thing with something, say, like shame? If we were humble enough to allow other people to help us, because many of us were very, very good about helping other people and doing for other people. But when it comes to being helped and being vulnerable, Mm -mm. No, 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 no. I'm the one that does. I'm not the one that helps, that's helped. You know, if you look at these stations of the cross around this church, you will notice, if you look closely at these, that one of them is Simon of Cyrene, who helped Jesus carry the cross on the way to Calvary. Jesus is God, and if Jesus needs some help, we're going to need it too. And that is extraordinarily frightening for a lot of people, especially if they're very type A. But that's part of humility is allowing ourselves to be helped. Brothers and sisters, this is my point. People are often the most critical in other people for what they themselves, they themselves are the most insecure about. My humble suggestion to you as we enter into the new year, if you have shame or pressure or something in your heart, 
this is a good year to let it go. I can promise you you're going to be happier. 